Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Okay. Give our guests a, a good show. Here we go. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is the CEO of Scale Microgrid Solutions. Please welcome Ryan Goodman. Ryan, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks so much, so much for having me. Looking forward to it. I was really looking forward to this this interview today, Ryan, because I don't know if you heard, but we've been having some challenges down here in Southern California, San Diego specifically. Ryan, I woke up the other day and I wasn't sure if I was in San Diego or Miami, Florida. It was incredibly humid. Um, every my my desk is just has a ton of moisture on it. I, I'm wet. It's like walking outside and just getting hit with a like a wet towel called humidity. It's crazy. Um, so this is new for kind of the area in California. Okay. And, and, you know, you go to Home Depot, you try to get an AC unit. We don't, we don't have AC units down here in San Diego. It's usually just the sea breeze you can kind of get, but this is new. This is a new thing for San Diego. So you go to Home Depot, they're all sold out. You go to Target, the fans are off the shelf. You can't find anything to stay cool. And then Ryan, I'm getting messages on my iPhone about how I need to limit my power use. So I just want to lead that off with this conversation and say, hey, it's relative for me today, Ryan, but help our audience understand what is the current problem with the energy grid that we take for granted? Yeah, good question. And, and that is, uh, I mean, it's funny you bring that up as an example. One of my co-founders, Tim Hay, just moved to California a few weeks ago and literally like his second weekend there, he's told, not only you have record temperatures, but you also need to turn off your air conditioning. So like, it's it's very relevant for our team and for our customers. But it's crazy, um, yeah. I mean, in general, California is is bearing the brunt of a lot of these things. You know, the the impacts of global warming and climate change, all of that is coming to fruition or coming together in California because of how the the grid is structured out there. And I think it's one of the reasons why our company has been very successful and is very excited about our future. But as you add more renewables to the grid, it puts new types of strains on the grid that just have never existed before. And so the utility, in addition to trying to handle producing enough power to put on the grid, is also trying to balance different components um, or different types of technologies that are on the grid. And it's a, it's a new dynamic that you know didn't exist 20 years ago. And so they're dealing with a lot of different variables, trying to triangulate to provide the best value for the customers. And right now, that is a very challenging environment. All these PSPS events is something that we as a company kind of forecasted five years ago and it's all coming to fruition. I mean, unfortunately for end users, but fortunately for the solution that we're providing. Um, but it, it's not a great situation for anyone, I think. And, um, you know, one of our, our angles to that, our solution to that is, by providing distributed energy solutions to, we're all focused on B2B, but to businesses to help alleviate that. So when the grid does go down, or if the grid does, does go down, we can still provide customers with that power that now everyone is used to having power on demand, right? So 
this whole concept of having periods when you can't consume power is kind of a foreign new thing. Um, and microgrids and distributed energy in general is one of the potential solutions to helping you alleviate that problem. And, you know, this is a, a problem that I have first experienced for the first time. And so I'm sure there are many entrepreneurs out there that are inspired by this to solve this change. Kind of bring our audience into your founder's story. I see you went to Bucknell and to Harvard MBA. What's, what is your background and, and why did you start this company? Yeah, good question. Um, so my, if we go back far enough, I'm, a, I'm an electrical engineer by design. So I kind of understood the energy world. But my first um, job out of school was with General Electric, one of their leadership programs at the time, going into GE Energy. So, so from the beginning, I've been involved in energy. Um, and for that matter, the bulk of my career, all my career has been with energy and the vast majority in distributed energy. Um, so went back up in the MBA, as you mentioned, did a stint in strategy consulting, BCG. Um, my, my prior firm was a big push in distributed energy. Um, where I cut my teeth on the business model we currently employ. So my prior firm um, was focused on a technology called CHP or cogeneration. Um, also not to end users, not a hugely common technology, but one that did a great job of reducing carbon footprint and providing power to customers. Um, so start, um, joined that business, grew it from, a, I'd say, a small to a medium-sized firm, sold it in 2016 to Centrica. For a few hundred million dollars, had a good success there. Um, but the business model there was what, what we're using now, which is around financed energy solutions. So similar to PPAs, power purchase agreements, for anyone that's familiar with those that have been very popular in the solar space, but basically a way for customers to get into a new technology and a new energy offering without taking the risk of investing a bunch of money. So a customer signs long-term agreement, we provide power over that time, but instead of investing whatever the number is, $5 million in a new energy asset, um, the customer doesn't put any money up and buys power over a long-term period from somebody. So it's the same concept as the power purchase group. So that's a lot of what my prior company was successful at. Um, saw an opportunity within microgrids, and I can come back to that maybe and explain more about what microgrids are, but saw a huge opportunity within microgrids um, didn't think it could be done as well within Centrica, and so decided to leave, um, started Scale Microgrid Solutions. Um, a lot of the current team that we have working together came from my prior firm as well. Um, and so the idea was a similar business model around financed energy solutions, a similar team, but a different technology, which was microgrids, not CHP. Um, so that was the idea at the time. Um, and the, the original thesis was based around modular microgrid technology. And again, I still need to define what microgrids are, but um, the idea being through a combination of business model, technology, and financing innovation, that we could unlock microgrids to the masses, similar to what happened in the solar space 15 years ago. Um, very similar analogy, I think. And so by continuing to improve and, and create this modular technology, make it more cost effective for everybody and offer it through a finance solution that was lower risk for end users, um, bringing that technology to the masses. And that's very much proven to be true so far. Um, have had a fun run. Um, you know, after spending some time to refine the tech and going out to get initial customer adoption, raised a few hundred million dollars from Robert Pincus. Um, and we've been growing, uh, growing like crazy ever since. Can't 
kind of hire fast enough, which is a very fun place to be. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you or people are familiar with the IRA that recently passed that is uh, another macro tailwind kind of supporting microgrids, distributed energy technology in general. Um, and so we have a lot of, we have a lot of momentum behind us. We're in a very fun place. Um, as with any young company, it comes with its challenging trials and tribulations that we can talk about as well. But um, we're in a very fun period right now um, where we're growing like crazy and helping to solve one of the world's you know, biggest challenges, with, which is global warming. Well, congratulations on the growth. And I think, you know, for anyone listening out there, these conversations are going to be so important because increasingly energy and renewable energies are going to be affecting your daily lives. And they're going to be, you know, in debates, they're going to be uh, in your face, front and center conversations at the dinner table. And so when a new technology comes out, like distributed energy technology, I think it's just really important for those to be who are curious to be equipped with the facts, the information about how this energy actually works. So, Ryan, go ahead, explain what microgrid is, what that distributed techno- energy technology actually does, and how it works. Yeah, sure. So, microgrids are a confusing technology um, to some people, but it is most raw form. It is um, a system of energy assets uh, or, or individual asset energy assets operating as a system. So. For us, that means some combination of solar, battery, dispatchable gas assets um, and operating as a system in a smart, intelligent way with sophisticated controls to operate as a system to provide the best value to our our customers. Right? And I guess there are a number of people who could be our customers, but generally um, a CNI business for us. And so we are providing a solution or a system of assets to provide any combination of cheaper, cleaner, more reliable power. Um, and we do so in the most efficient way by optimizing which technology we're using at different times, depending on what's going on with the grid. So we work very closely with the utility and the grid to make sure we are working within their parameters, which within their systems and providing value to the utility. So for example, when you get that alert on your phone that you mentioned earlier and says you need to reduce your power, over the microgrid, we can do that from a utility looking perspective. So by us fully ramping up all of our assets, we can reduce the strain on the grid. And hence we're helping the utility accomplish their goals as well. Um, so I don't know, that might've, hopefully that didn't oversimplify it, but it's basically providing a combination of energy assets to provide some combination of cleaner, cheaper, more reliable power for our customers. Uh, so- and I guess the last point of that would be the way we offer it to market is through a fully financed solution, as I mentioned earlier. So customers aren't paying anything for that up front, but are investing it and paying for it over time. Basically, instead of consuming as much power from the grid, they're paying us for, for some of that energy as well. Um, and it ends up being a very appealing financial benefit for them. Okay, got it. So are you, you're working with these these mass utility providers, okay? And is this just so, and this is how I'm understanding it in my mind. Um, if something were to happen, you know, the grid goes down, it doesn't work. There's a crazy ice storm in Texas. There's a hurricane in Puerto Rico. There's something that happens. Your microgrid solutions are also acting as reserve energy sources. Um, not necessarily a generator, but more so just throughout the year, it's collecting on energy source, it's storing that energy in your batteries, and then you're distributing it to the grid when it 
needs it. So it's it's also reserved, but also it's throughout the whole year as well. Yeah, um, very close. So I guess the one caveat might be we well first we do generally stay what's called in parallel to the grid. Okay. So when the grid is operating, our system is operating as well. You're you're getting utility power and microgrid power. Um, but then when the utility goes down, yes, we are then stepping in and providing generally the full load of the facility. But it kind of depends on the design that the customer is interested in. But provide power on a continuous basis so when the grid got, does go down we can we can um, still continue to keep the customer operational and running which again in california when you talk about psps events you know for for residents losing power is an inconvenience but for a business when you lose power you can't be out of power for a week and still function like that's a that's not that's not how you you, you know you keep you keep a business sustainable so our R2M2 technology specifically is, is, is uh, was designed in order to address that. So when the utility does come down, and God forbid it's a week long, like you can still continue to operate uh, operate as a company. Um, and then the last thing I'll, I'll talk about uh, uh, or clarify on what you said is generally we are not pushing the ton back to the utility. Um, we do do that sometimes. It kind of depends on the configuration, but it's more operating our assets in a way that helps the grid without necessarily pushing back, even though some of us do that. So through demand optimization, as, as the example I gave earlier, if the grid is constrained and says you need to reduce your power. We would operate the system in a way that from the grid's perspective, you're consuming basically no power, even though the facility is fully operational. It's just we're producing all the power instead of the utility producing the power. And so from their vantage point, the customer is not consuming any power and has decreased the amount of demand they are trying to pull from the grid. Mm, okay. Okay. That makes that makes a lot more sense. And yeah, I was also just reading in California, you know, hundred percent of the energy must come from carbon free sources in California. Where is this whole tailwind going? Like what in your mind, you've been in this space for a long time. How do you see us, I guess, um, reducing our dependency on fossil fuels and going into this renewables who are some of the key players in this space yeah uh, that's a good question a loaded question we can talk about that probably for two hours but it is a challenging problem uh, you know there's a lot of california specifically is very forward thinking on this, so has a very high percentage of renewable penetration on the grid compared to most of the rest of the country and that's part of the reason why to be honest you do end up with um, events like you getting a note saying to reduce your demand because as you add more renewables, renewables are intermittent resources, right? The sun is not always shining when you talk about solar. So the the job of the utility is very challenging that they need to both produce enough power, but also do so in a renewable and clean way to meet the carbon reduction goals. And it's, and it's a very challenging, um, very challenging mission and objective they have. To meet both of those things simultaneously. Um, and so utility grade renewable plants is one way to help with that, you know, bringing on solar, bringing on wind, bringing on battery resources that is well underway. And there's a lot of, you know, large companies helping to do that, mainly the OEMs that produce each of those technologies. But then our thesis and our belief is that um, doing so through distributed energy not only helps produce clean power, but because you're looking on site, does a much better job of providing reliable power so that when the grid does go down, whether that's 
clean or not clean energy being produced um, by the utility, you can still, by having it on site, you can still operate um, in a more reliable way because the, the facility is, you know, right outside, right next door. You're not going to go down when the grid goes down. And so our combination uh, both addresses the carbon reduction point and also addresses the resiliency point. You know, it's, it's a thought that one has when you get a notification like that. It's like, well, how am I supposed to run my company from the luxury of my home? Or how am I supposed to run my organization from my office? There's got to be a competitive advantage by having a reliable power source for times like that to still be up in full operation. But also knowing that that energy is coming from a clean source of power. Help me understand kind of what that looks like um, from the business owner's point of view. Am I bringing you guys in to have that 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 power station right next to my business? What does that actually look like? Help me visualize that. Yeah, um, I think I think what you bring up of being able to operate and providing you a competitive advantage when others aren't is, is very real. We have a number of customers, especially in the grocery space, that they view themselves as a mission critical facility so that when the power goes out people feel comfortable coming to their business even though you can't maybe a lot of the other businesses around are, are not up and running so it's a mission critical kind of safety factor where people know oh this company's reliable i can go to them no matter what kind of thing and that's um, been the thesis of a number number of our customers but i mean ultimately um depending on the customer that we're talking to will drive whether they care about resiliency, carbon reduction, or savings. I mean, it's very common. Our, you know, Fortune 100 customers, um, it happened a lot more a few years ago, but still, even recently, like the CEO will make an announcement and say, we're going to reduce our carbon footprint by X. And then he'll turn around to his team and say, all right, how are we going to reduce our carbon footprint by X? Um, and it's a very real thing that, that they believe in, but figuring out the path to some of these aggressive goals the company set um, is challenging. So one of the exciting things about microgrids is we can both help you meet those carbon reduction goals and provide the resiliency to the example I talked about earlier of attracting customers even when the power is down and do so in a cost-effective way so you're not you know, spending a bunch of money to do so. So it's really a, a triple bottom line solution. Um, it's one of the exciting things about this technology and how it works. And you know, in the beginning, a lot of customers would just say, like, I don't believe you. It's kind of too good to be true if you felt um, we've since kind of overcome that and now have a bunch of assets operating that that's no longer a concern, but um, it is a very good solution for customers that are looking for, um, you know, cheaper, cleaner, more reliable power. So Ryan, this is your second organization that you're now starting and growing. Help us understand what you learned from that first test to now bring to the, the second organization. Tell us about, about a little bit of those experiences in the first company that you started, what you learned. Um, so I guess two things come immediately to mind. One is the team matters. Um, and I guess I was lucky that I had a good team in the first one since I brought a lot with me the second one, but the team matters, especially when you're in a high growth environment. You know, that, uh, the way I describe it to people when we're interviewing is we all have the same strategic direction, but there's still a little bit of organized chaos. Um, and that you need to empower people to operate in that organized chaos in a way that is the best interest of them and the business and everyone kind of swimming in the same direction. So 
Um, I think finding the right people is probably my number one thing. The second thing is um, your investor base does matter. Um, so my last my last round, we, we went through two kind of capital raise M&A rounds, and we were focused on strategic partnerships, or sorry, uh, more strategic um, financial parties, you know, ultimately selling the business, et cetera, you know, a very large energy service company, global, based in the UK. Um, but they think like a strategic, uh, which is very different than right now, Warburg Pincus is a phenomenal partner for us and focused on growth companies and basically they're very incentivized to how do we grow? How do we, how do we make an impact? How do we have an impact for our customers? What is your value add? Which is a little bit of a different thinking than a strategic who, you know, might invest for any number of different reasons. But um, through our last venture, the mindset shift was different between when we sold the Centrica and we're focused on growth versus when we brought in Warburg here, focused on growth, like very different um, mindset, also much less hands-on. I mean, Warburg has been great. They basically help when we need help and otherwise are decently hands-off and let us do our thing. You know, they, they invest in us for a reason because they believe in our thesis and believe in our team. So let us do that. No, we are the expert operators in our space. And so give us the runway to go and do that. And, uh, you know, they've been, they've been phenomenal part. So I guess those are the two things that I would say. One is the people matter. And two is your investor, who, what your investor is really matters. Well, let's start with the first one with the team. I mean, what makes a good team? What makes a good culture? And how have you gone about that? Yeah, um, good question. Um, I mean, I, I think I always anchor on trust and mutual respect. There's a lot of other things that go into a team and go into who is the right person to fill specific roles, but I'm a very big proponent of trust and mutual respect. So finding people that believe you, trust in you, believe in the mission, that you can also equally reciprocate that is the most important thing. I think you'll, our turnover rate in the company has been zero since 2016, mm. which is a pretty, almost scary feat, to be honest with you, but it's a pretty amazing feat. And part of that is because of the strong amount of trust that our team has developed. Um, so that's one thing that I would also say, alignment of incentives. So, you know, we're in growth stage, so equity is a very important component that drives all of us together. And, and mission, you know, everyone in our company believes we are addressing one of the largest challenges facing humanity that kind of pulls us all together when we have the challenging moments or the difficult nights or the, you know, the 11 p.m. calls that needed in order to kind of deliver on on our business and you know what we're doing is hard. You know, running. We're, everyone in our business is trying to run through walls and pave a new path and grow uh, immensely year over year. So, um, yeah, I'd say those are a few of the things that I, I look for. And company culture is something I spend a lot of time on, and I would describe us both as a or very much as a work hard, play hard type atmosphere. Um, and I tell everybody this when they when they join. But I think that's for two reasons. One is, I don't, we spend too many hours a day at work to not enjoy what we're doing. So I don't really spend time with people I don't get along with anymore. And, and I can say that for everybody in our company. Um, and, and so that's been a great um, thing that brings us together. And the second is, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, 
in our company, you can't possibly work hard enough to do what we need to do in order for you to be successful. So it's, it's a lose-lose for everybody if you're not enjoying what you're doing. And I tell everybody, like, when, if there ever reaches a point where you're not, raise your hand and let's talk. Because it's not to you, it's not good for you, it's not good for me. Um, and we need to figure out that solution together so that everybody, so that you are spending time on things that you enjoy. Well, it makes a lot of sense. It seems like your values of your organization, I guess inherently from doing an incredible thing by getting people off those fossil fuels, those values of making the world a better place seems to attract maybe the right employees, the right investors, and almost acts as its own like operating system um, in, in a sense. Help me understand like during your stages of growth, where have you seen those values come into play? When you say the values, do you mean like what has shifted as we go from stage to stage? Yeah. Where, where have you seen like that, that end purpose of your organization as, as you've been continuing to grow? Why is that mission so important? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is alignment of incentives. Like what we're trying to do as a young company, a young growth company, and I won't really put us in the startup category anymore, but we're still young. Um, Stuff is hard. You know, we're trying to we're trying to change the industry. We're trying to change the world. And so, if you don't have that alignment of mission, um, sometimes you forget why you're putting in the hours, trying to run through walls, and all swimming in the same direction. Um, and that's only further exacerbated over the last few years as we talk about COVID. You know, trying to maintain culture in a remote environment while you're trying to grow tremendously um, is challenging. So, culture is something I spend a lot of deliberate time on. To make sure everybody kind of embraces and believes in the, in the vision, and lives the virtues, and, and keeps the mission front line um, is very important. So, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but kind of emphasizes why it is so important for us. It, it's an open question now, Ryan. Another question for you. Um, looking back at this year, where have you been tested most as a leader? Where have I been tested most? Um, it, it probably goes back to what I was just talk, talking about of maintaining culture through a crazy growth environment and in a remote environment. Um, you know, we've gone we've gone through stages of um, well, I guess when you add growing during COVID, maintaining the culture, and trying to double or triple year over year from a headcount perspective adding all those things together and doing it in a way that we maintain our entity and maintain um, the culture has been very important. So I very much transitioned from a leader as early days, you know, you, you don't have arms and legs, so you're involved in everything um, and doing a lot of things. Now I spend a lot more time meeting with people, talking about people, communicating, 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 reinforcing the mission, figuring out what barriers exist and trying to break them down so that um, so that we can continue to move forward as a company and maintain that culture despite a challenging growth environment, you know, COVID, um, trying to, can we hire enough people to meet our growth objectives? Um, those are all challenges that I think kind of come together and where I spend most of my time, where I see the biggest challenges. Uh, and currently, Ryan, like, what are your three main priorities? We talk about rocks here on the show. 
you know, if uh, you're going to wake up and, and you've got three things that you want to make sure you focus on throughout the day, what are those go-to priorities? Um, so I would say if I would pick three, probably one is, well, two we've already talked about. One is culture and maintaining that during this growth phase, so I won't go into that more. Two is hiring. We can't hire fast enough and finding good people. I am uh, probably the bottleneck in our company of hiring people because I still stand by finding the right people are more important than getting them in quickly. Mm. Um, so I've talked about those two. The third I probably haven't spent so much time on is customer centricity and customer focus. This has been a renewed focus within our company, even over the last few weeks, to be honest, but, but this year, definitely. Um, and making sure our customers are happy. Um, we're meeting all their expectations. We're delivering on timelines of very challenging supply chain environments. Um, you know, a lot of our vendors are being hit in this current market and trying to come up with creative solutions so that we are still able to hit the timelines we're committed to our customers, consumed a lot of time with our teams thinking. Um, so customer focus. And I guess related to that is, or maybe I'll, I guess I'll use a fourth is, is speed and efficiency. So we, as a distributed energy company, we need to be more efficient than the next guy because inherently you can't be spending as much time on um, a smaller job as someone that's building a $200 million power plant. Um, in order to make the economics work in our value proposition to customers of cheaper power, um, you can't, the whole thesis is one, uh, one $2 million, or sorry, 10 $2 million jobs or one $20 million job, you have to be able to put similar amounts of effort into in order for distributed energy to proliferate over the long term. And we are well down our journey in making that true. It's not, I wouldn't say it's 100% true to the, to the math yet, but the whole thesis of being efficient so that we can very rapidly scale and deploy assets um, um, in a cost-effective way for both us and our customers um, ultimately comes down to efficiency, speed, and, and figuring out a way to do so in a very scalable way. So I guess that's the whole point. Yeah, it's interesting when you ask your CEO about those three priorities and they say it's not sales, it's not funding, it's culture, it's hiring, it's customer focus. What are some of the questions, Ryan, that you want to make sure you ask during that hiring process to make sure you're identifying the right candidate for your company? Um, so I think there's two probably very core ones to, to that specific point and fit. One is it's pretty easy for our company. We are a pretty mission-driven company. So making sure anyone that's joining the company understands the broader mission. And we're not a nonprofit by no means, but um, you know everyone in our company is mission-driven to some extent. And in order to fit in, here, that, that has to be true. So that's one, make sure they're mission-driven, believe in kind of the, the global warming carbon reduction story and, and knowing that we're trying to make a bigger impact beyond just dollars and cents, so that's one. And then two is always trying to align their future and vision for themselves with where the company's going. So think about where do they want to be two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, um, and making sure that aligns with where we're going because it's difficult to project where we're going to be as a company two to five years from now, to be honest. But 
we know we're in hyper growth mode. We know there's a lot of opportunity. Um, and so it's an exciting thing for the right people. But if we hire someone, they're not here a year and a half from now, like that was a waste of our time. So I only want people that are thinking five years from now and saying, where do they want to be? And do they see where they want to be within scale? Now, the answer is no, that both for them and for us, it's not a good fit. Um, I don't know, there's a lot of things that go into making sure they have a fit, but those are two things I spend a lot of time thinking about and, and talking with candidates on. Ryan, I want you to kind of look back and think about your early days, maybe I'm growing companies and think back, you know, is there anything from a leadership perspective that you got wrong? Has your definition of a, of a leader changed over the years? Um, I don't know if my definition has changed, but how I accomplished that has definitely changed. Yeah, talk, talk about it. It kind of goes with, hand in hand with where we are as a company. You know, so when we started the company, we were five people in, in a, you know, one of our co-founders' apartments. Um, and you literally do everything. And that is the, those first two years are like the difficult phase from a startup perspective. I mean, you don't have an arm, enough arms and legs to do anything. So you're doing everything and you're executing. Executing is very important. Um, but then as, as I transition, I think my definition is still probably the same, but I'm doing that no longer by executing as much. Still need to execute enough to know what is going on in the business, but spent, as I mentioned earlier, kind of transitioning and spending more time on working with people, getting the right people in the right places, making sure everybody is knows what the priorities are and that's being communicated effectively and, and worked on as a team throughout the organization. Um, so how I accomplish that maybe is different, but I don't I don't think my definition of a leader has has changed over the last five years. Well, Ryan, let's bring this home then. Let's hear it. What is your definition of a real leader today? Um so I guess I would say someone that is um forward thinking enough. And kind of, I don't know if cutting edge is the right term because you can be a, a leader but and not be on the cutting edge. But still, I guess in what we do, I think of it is someone that's forward thinking, cutting edge, knows where the market is going and can push the envelope in whatever area they're focused on to inspire not only people within your company, but the rest of the world or the rest of the industry and push that forward towards a common mission. Um, yeah, so I guess that hopefully that comes well, Ryan, I just want to appreciate you for coming on the show today. I learned a lot about uh, distributed energy technologies, um, leadership, uh, crazy, 0% turnover, uh, an immaculate feat uh, for, for microgrid and scale, and uh, just wishing you all the best of luck. Um, where can people find more information about your organization? Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me on, too. It's going to be great. Um, I mean, our website is decently up-to-date, scalemicrogridsolutions.com. Uh, LinkedIn as well, Scale Microgrid. We're, we're, we're uh, located all over the country, but the East and West Coast is where our primary offices are and teams are. So uh, we'd love if anyone wants to reach out and set up all the conversations. For Ryan Goodman, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, push the envelope to inspire change in all those folks. Keep it real. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.
Hey, Relators, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Relators.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.